Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, February 27th, 2023. It's been 3,288 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 369 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of targeted attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, Despite receiving fresh ammunition, we maintain that the infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest on and off the battlefield. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we assess that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Sixth, we assess that Russia's failed campaign targeting electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure will continue despite the increasing limits on precision weapons. And finally, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's Monday, check in with both belligerent objectives, starting in Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to push Ukrainian forces west of the Oskil River and set conditions for a future, larger attack. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, 
and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. Mercenary mailblogger Rybar reported heavy fighting, quote, near Khryanikivka, adding that Ukrainian forces were, quote, putting reserves into battle, trying to keep bridges and crossings over the Oskil River under control, end quote. This was curious wording, with the crossing at Kupiansk not threatened, and those at Senkova and Khorokhovatka out of service. Based on the language and continued reports of shelling in or near Khryanikivka, we pulled the line of conflict north of the P-79 highway using terrain analysis, which moved the settlement to contested status. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported an attack in the direction of Masutivka was repulsed, while the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported their forces shelled Ukrainian positions. The Russian MOD reported fighting between squads near Sinkivka with no new claims of territorial control. The Russian MOD also reported positional fighting among squad-sized units in the areas of Perchotravneve, Yehidne, Tabaevka, and Krochmalne. There were no changes to the line of conflict. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, recapture lost territory, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lysychansk, and support insurgents. In the Svatova operational direction, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian positions in Novoselivske were shelled and claimed Russian troops attempted to advance on Stelmichivka. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai reported that the situation in the Svatova direction was stable. In the Kremina operational area, the front erupted with fighting from Ploshanka to the banks of the Siversky Donetsk River. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repulsed an attack from Ploshanka, while mercenary millblogger Wargonzo reported an attack in the direction of Makievka. In our assessment, these are probably the same attack. Russian forces attempted to advance on Nevsky without success and renewed fighting for control of Chervonopopivka. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian troops in the area of Zhitlivka were attacked by Russian aviation. There was a significant increase in fighting west and south of Kremina, with Governor Khaidai reporting that Russian troops had regrouped after their defeat in the Serbriansky woods on February 23rd. Russian forces, supported by armor, attempted to advance in the direction of Terny and Yampolivka without success. A video showed a Russian tank crossing no-man's land and firing on Ukrainian positions from near point-blank range before retreating. The GSAFU reported an attack in the area of Torske was repulsed. Fighting continued in the woods west of Kremina near Dibrova and in the Serebriansky woods. After losing a significant number of armored vehicles in the forest areas over the last week, Governor Khaidai reported that Russian troops were using waves of light infantry and reinforcements were being brought into the region. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces attacked Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, from two directions throughout the day and were unsuccessful. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region and integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation. 
The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Siversk operational area, the GSAFU reported that the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR continued their attacks on Spirne. The Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade repulsed multiple attacks on Fedorivka, preventing PMC Wagner and Russian forces from advancing toward Siversk on the T-513 highway. In the Solidar operational area, Russian forces repeatedly attacked Rozdolivka but could not break through the Ukrainian defensive lines. PMC Wagner renewed attacks on Vasyukivka without success. Further south, PMC Wagner also attempted to advance from the tree lines east of Zeliznyansky and was also exactly 0% successful. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces on the city's northern edge is getting increasingly difficult. PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Orikhovo Vasilivka with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive positions. There were claims that Dubovo Vasilivka had been captured, which was unsupported by PMC Wagner. Fighting continues. The GSAFU reported an attack in the direction of Bohdonivka was repulsed, which caused a stir in the open-source intelligence space. In their evening report, Rybar wrote that a, quote, offensive is developing in the direction of the Berkhivske Reservoir, end quote. Based on the language, we assess that PMC Wagner is still north and east of the reservoir. The GSAFU also reported that an attack out of Berkhivka was repulsed. PMC Wagner was also blocked from advancing out of Yahidne. Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR representative Andriy Morochko, falsely claimed that Bakhmut is in a technical encirclement because the road from Chasivyar isn't paved and has turned to mud. The T-506 is a paved two-lane highway. In Bakhmut, intense fighting continued in the city's eastern part, with Ukrainian troops reportedly being pushed closer to the Bakhmutovka River. No recent photos were available for geolocation to review the line of conflict, so we did not update the map. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, Russian troops supported by PMC Wagner were held at their current defensive positions south of Ivanivske. Several open-source intelligence sources claimed that Ukraine regained some lost positions, but there weren't any supporting videos or pictures we could geolocate. PMC Wagner tried to cross the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal in the direction of Stupochki and was unsuccessful. In the Toretsk, New York operational area, the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance toward Pivnichny but could not break through Ukrainian defenses. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region, integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. The First Army Corps must have received new Mobics because they significantly increased attacks across the entire Avdivka operational area. Attacks on the Krasnohorivka Plateau continued, as well as a renewed attempt to cross the H-20 highway by advancing on Kamyanka. Neither assault were successful. 
Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Avdiivka from Opitne and Spartak without success. The Russian VKS bombed the coke plant for a second time with two Fab 250 or Fab 500 bombs. This is a shift from a year ago when the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, was more interested in preserving the plant. Elements of the 1st Army Corps tried to advance on Tsieverne and Pervomaisky from Vodyana without success. In the Marinka operational area, elements of the 1st Army Corps pressed fresh Mobiks toward Krasnohorivka in multiple waves, with no success. Fighting continued in Marinka, with Rybar making a fresh claim, with zero supporting evidence, that Ukrainian forces were pushed out of the center of the settlement. You know the drill. Pictures or it didn't happen. In the Marinka operational area, there was only light fighting in the city's center, with no change in the situation. Did the 1st Army Corps attack Novomikhailivka in the Vulkhidar operational area? Yes. Yes, they did. Were they successful? No. Moving on. Fighting continued south of Vulkhidar. Wargonzo reported renewed fighting in the Mikilsk dachas, while the GSAFU reported repeat attacks were repulsed. A geolocated video showed that Russia lost two more T-80 main battle tanks. The Russian MOD claimed Russian forces only used artillery and Ukrainian positions were attacked by Russian aviation. There were several reliable reports that Mobiks were being transported to a training area south of Ulhidar before deployment. We'll have more information on this when we get to the Russian military and mobilization segment. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and capture the remainder of the oblast. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. Zaporizhia was hit by two S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. An infrastructure facility was damaged by one missile, and the second successfully attacked the Dnipro River. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, nor the contingent of International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors who have not been permitted to leave. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported seven Black Sea fleet vessels on patrol with no capability to launch caliber cruise missiles. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 97 fire missions, 21 on the city of Kherson, wounding two people. In Biloserka, a Russian artillery shell landed next to the T-1501 highway, instantly killing two people in a car that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Russian forces inexplicably shelled Oleksandrivka, which was already obliterated by nine months of fighting. In Russian-occupied Kachovka, a large explosion occurred after a Ukrainian artillery strike, followed by a column of black smoke. Outside of Kherson, two farmers were killed when they started to prepare their field, despite warning signs indicating it had not been demined. Just a few minutes into their work, they ran over an anti-tank mine, killing both of them. In Khmelnytsky, three Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones struck the city, killing one civilian and wounding four more. The person killed was a firefighter responding to an earlier drone strike. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and to maximize casualties through deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. In Sumy, the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Hluchiv, Novosloboda, and Khotin were hit by artillery shells and mortars fired from across the Russian border. In the village of Khorki near Novosloboda, five buildings, a healthcare center, and power lines were damaged. Near Hluchiv, the village of Budivelny was heavily shelled, damaging six homes, destroying a retail business, and wounding one person. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Dmitry Medvedev made a fresh threat to destroy the world with nuclear weapons, saying, quote, If the question of the existence of Russia seriously arises, then it will be resolved not on the Ukrainian front, but by the question of the further existence of the entire human civilization. There should be no ambiguities here. We do not need a world without Russia. End quote. I, I bet he's really fun at parties. Russia launched a wave of Shahed-136 kamikaze drones targeting Khmelnytsky, Kyiv, and Cherniv. Our analysts determined 15 drones were launched, with three shot down near Cherniv and nine near Kyiv. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky dismissed the commander of the United Forces of Ukraine, Major General Edward Moskilev, in a terse two-sentence declaration. No reason was given. Moskalev was in the role for less than a year. According to Belarusian officials and state media organizations, partisans attacked the Machulishchi airbase in Belarus using drones. A Russian Beriev A-50U Airborne Early Warning and Control, or AEWC, aircraft received moderate damage, with drones damaging its radar array and other sensitive equipment. Russia has 15 A-50 AEWC aircraft, with the upgraded U variant entering service in 2019. Germany transferred six Bieber bridge layers, an unspecified number of Zetros trucks, camouflage netting, and medical equipment to Ukraine in its most recent aid package. Estonian Defense Minister Hanno Pevkur arrived in Kyiv on Sunday and delivered a new military aid package of their own. The package included assault rifles, pistols, unmanned aerial vehicles, thermal imagers, generators, chargers, and military uniforms. Croatia plans to provide Ukraine with 14 Mi-8 helicopters, which have been recently removed from its army's service. The markings are being removed from 12 Mi-8 MTB-1, 
and two MI-8T helicopters as they undergo servicing and refurbishment at the Aeronautical Technical Center in Velika Gorica. The helicopters are expected to arrive in Ukraine in March. Speaking of removed from service, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. Forbes released a report estimating that Moscow spent $114.4 billion, one-third of its federal budget, during the first year of the expanded war in Ukraine. Over $29 billion in death and disability benefits for Russian troops was included in the figure. U.S. Americans, if you are wondering about your tax dollars, every dollar and a quarter the United States has provided in direct military aid has created $1 worth of death and disability payments made by the Russian Ministry of Defense, which equals half its entire pre-war military budget. The figure would be even higher, with widespread complaints about unpaid survivor and veterans' benefits. The Russian MOD is reconstituting the 155th and 40th Naval Infantry Brigades for the second time. Movics who still need training have been moved through Melitopol toward Vukhidar, where they'll be integrated into the once-elite military brigades. Russian ultranationalist, resident of Spain, and couch-surfing keyboard warrior Alex Parker claimed that General of the Army Sergei Sorovikin, who was demoted on January 11th to the Deputy of Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Armed Forces Valery Gerasimov, is getting part of his old job back. Parker claimed that Sorovikin would once again be the commander of the air defenses of the Russian Federation, which is a further demotion from his current role. In the Russian city of Sosnovibor, near Leningrad, the military enlistment office was attacked with Molotov cocktails. The window was not broken, and there was only light damage to the outside of the building. Regardless, it is still the 112th attack on a commissariat office since Russia expanded its war in Ukraine. All is going to plan. In geopolitical news, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Prince Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud, visited Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv. The prince is the first official from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to visit Ukraine since diplomatic relations were established between the two nations. After the meeting, it was announced Saudi Arabia would provide $410 million in aid, including $300 million in oil products. Earlier this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that the United Kingdom, Germany, and France offered Ukraine NATO-style security guarantees and additional military hardware if Kyiv would agree to resume peace negotiations with Russia. This offer allegedly would only provide Ukraine similar security guarantees to the Budapest Memorandum and would not provide a guaranteed path to NATO membership. The German government denied any such discussion occurred. An unnamed German official was quoted as saying, quote, there has been no new concrete status in the last few months. At the latest meeting of Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany, and Emmanuel Macron, the President of France, with Volodymyr Zelensky, the President of Ukraine, this issue was of no significance. End quote. The German source added that a similar plan was discussed quote, a few weeks after the war escalated on February 24, 2022, but no new discussions have been made. 
The United States Department of State released a statement stating that Washington, D.C. would never recognize the annexation of Crimea. The statement said, quote, Nine years ago, Russia invaded Ukraine and seized Crimea, a clear violation of international law and of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. The United States welcomes the efforts of Ukraine's Crimea platform to focus global attention on Russia's continued occupation. The United States does not and never will recognize Russia's purported annexation of the peninsula. Crimea is Ukraine. End quote. In economic news, the ruble started the week with a small improvement with an exchange rate of 75 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas Intermediate Crude was starting the week unchanged at $76 a barrel, with Brent holding at $83. Russian Ural's crude climbed to an official price of $56 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline was also unchanged at $2.36 a gallon or $0.62 a liter on the spot market. Dutch TTF natural gas futures were down slightly, with March and April's contracts falling to €50 per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to $7.17 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.